It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And welcome back in the third and final hour of the program here on Friday. And right now, we're going to be joined by a very special guest. I'm so excited for this discussion. I am going to just geek out on this discussion for sure. And I think some of you will as well. Because joining us, we have media historian, professor, author, former broadcaster and radio consultant, Donna Halper joining us on the line. And good morning, Donna. How are you? Morning. How are you? Doing very well. I left out, though, when I just gave your little bio there, uh, one of the key things that, that people would know you for. You actually helped discover the band Rush. Well, I, uh, I've i heard that that's true, you know? <laughs> and uh, some somebody told me that somewhere along the line. Um, but yeah, back in the day when music directors could discover bands and get behind them and champion them, which still does happen at a few stations, but it used to kind of be the norm. And I'm not going to tell a story that has been told 3,000 times because I don't want to bore your audience, but long story short was that a friend of mine who was a record promoter up in Canada, a guy by the name of Bob Roper, um, he was a record promoter with a label that got this homegrown record, listened to it, said, nee, these guys are not ready for prime time. But Roper had seen them play, and he thought they had potential. So he sent their little homegrown record to me. I was at WMMS in Cleveland at the time. I mean, I'm from Massachusetts, but back then there were not a lot of opportunities for women in radio, so I had to go where there was an opportunity, and it turned out there was one out in Cleveland. And I got this record. I was looking for a long song because we were album rock and we played the long version where AM played the short version. And I dropped the needle on Working Man. And for those that remember vinyl records, yay, dropping the needle. Put it down on the long cut, Working Man. Listened to the first couple of lines and I knew right away that it was a perfect record for Cleveland. Now... As I've said on more than one occasion, if you are a music director or a program director and you play a record, it's very nice when that record becomes a hit. But we have all played records that we thought were going to be huge and they went nowhere. So there was no guarantee. And, you know, by the grace of God and by the fact that people in Cleveland had good taste in music, they loved working man. They wanted to know more about this Canadian band called Rush, who at first they thought it was Led Zeppelin, but nope, it was Rush. And the next thing you know, they're making requests. They're asking where they can get a copy. I helped to get them in touch with the right people who signed them to a U.S. recording contract. I championed them and got stations to play them. Did you know that Boston Radio would not play them back then? WBCN would not play them. No, no, no. Did not like Rush. Didn't play them for years. 
the revisionist history, of course. Oh, yeah, we played them right from the beginning. No, you didn't. No, 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 no. But a lot of other stations did. They went on to become famous. And unlike a lot of other rock bands that I helped over the years and that a lot of us helped over the years, Rush always kept in touch. I'm still in touch with them. And the truth is that I've been with them since day one in terms of, like, being able to be present when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, being able to be there on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. They dedicated two albums to me. They put me in a documentary about them. The nicest human beings who ever lived. Almost as nice as you, Tim. <laughs> I don't think I have anything on those guys. But So what are the chances that maybe Alex and Getty show up when you're inducted into the Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame? Uh, slim, fat, <laughs> and none. And Slim just left town. But that is um, happening. You will be inducted on June I 8th. will be inducted. But you know something? The reality of celebrity is a lot of times people are happy for you, but they don't want to, how should we say, steal your sunshine. You mm -hmm. know, it's like if celebrities come to your induction, it becomes about the celebrities. I think... I, in fact, I know for a true fact the guys wish me well because I have their emails and, you know, we do keep in touch. But I would be shocked if they showed up. They're out on the road. They're not performing, but they're out doing various things. They're spending quality time with family. They're writing. Getty's got a new book coming out soon. I mean, God bless them. Let them have fun in retirement. I know they wish me well. And I wish them nothing but health and happiness because it has been a 48-year friendship. I mean, how lucky am I? Oh, absolutely. And it's funny because, you know, I, I mentioned that you will be inducted into the Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame. And you talked about having to go elsewhere because you couldn't find a job as a woman in, in, in the business back then. So it just goes to show how much things have changed that now you're going to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Well, when I first got started in radio and i've told this story before so if you hear the sounds of snoring that's people who have heard the story before <laughs> but for those that have not um i first got started in college radio as one did back then except in 1964 when i went to my college radio station and you know tried to you know get an audition they said to me that they didn't women on the air, uh, girls as they called it back then. And um, I asked them why they didn't, and they said, well, girls don't sound good on the air. And I asked them how many they'd had on the air, and they said, none, they don't sound good. Which made me wonder, if you've never had one on the air, how do you know they don't sound good? And I had to embark on a four-year battle before finally... In October of 1968, I became the first female DJ in the history of Northeastern University. Somehow the Republic did not fall. Um, and you know what? I still have fan mail that I have kept over the years. And it really makes me feel good to know that I made some people happy and played some songs they liked. I became music director. That was the first time I ever music directed. I loved it. But even that was gendered, Tim. Back then, women were music directors, men were program directors. Now, as I've said on a multitude of occasions, 
I've never wanted to get a job because I'm a woman. I just don't want to be excluded from a job because I'm a woman. And that's what was happening. People would just say, oh, you know, women, they can't do X, Y, or Z. It's like, well, did you ever give me a chance? And I got a job at a small suburban radio station in Cambridge, uh, WCAS, stood for Cambridge, Arlington, Somerville. It was 250 wonderful watts. The mice ran the treadmill. I mean, you just, they did the best they could. Sometimes the signal actually got out over the ocean and you could hear us down on the Cape. Um, I, every now and then I would get calls from, you know, Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard, Provincetown. But unfortunately, the signal was small. It was a daytimer. It didn't pay very well. And I really did have to go out of state in it in order to get my first radio job. And it's interesting because something you brought up to me, uh, as I'm reading your book, Boston Radio 1920 to 2010, it's a fascinating book. Everybody should pick it up. And the, the photos are incredible. And most of them coming Many from... of those, yeah, come from my personal collection, yes. Because, you know, as a friendly media historian, I always wondered who came before me, which will lead us to a discussion of a couple of folks from your neck of the woods. But before we go there, yeah, I always wondered who came before me so that I could thank them. And finding out that they'd been kind of written out of history set me on a path that I am still on to this day, telling the stories of forgotten broadcasters, many women, many people of color, but also a lot of guys from smaller markets like New Bedford, okay, like Fall River, who did amazing things in broadcasting, but were never written up in any of the major textbooks which tended to focus on, like, New York and Los Angeles. And, you know, yeah, New York and Los Angeles, lovely places. I've been there. But there's a lot of great radio in the small markets. And, you know something, i got to take my hat off. If I were wearing a hat, imagine me wearing a hat. If I were wearing one, I would take it off to you, Tim, and to broadcasters like you, who are keeping live and local radio alive. I don't care what anybody says, live and local still works. People want it, people like it, and you are providing it. And we always will. I mean, and that's, that's to me, that's what it's all about. It's about that connection with the community. It's about being the voice for that community, a place for them to have their voice heard. And it really, there's, there's no there's no relationship like it because we we can have conversations every single day and we might never know what each other looks like. We could pass each other on the street and not even realize that we're the people that are having these conversations about important issues that matter to us each and every day. Absolutely. And radio is a best friend. When radio is at its best, okay, it's a best friend. Whether it's playing music, which some stations still do as well they should, or whether it's talk, or whether it's sports, or whether it's current events, or whatever it's doing, radio can be a best friend. And people can still resonate with that. And that's the thing that drew me to radio. That's why I loved it. That's why I became a media historian, to make sure those stories would be preserved. I had the privilege of being on the air for... Oh, my God, the better part of about 15 years. 
Then I opened up a radio consulting business. WBSM was a client at one point many, many years ago. And I've consulted all over North America. I've been to all kinds of amazing places, met all kinds of amazing people, and I hope I helped to create some interesting and fun radio. But eventually the industry changed, and an awful lot of people got downsized, including your humble servant. And at the age of 55, I went back to school, and I got my Ph.D. when I was 64. Became a college professor, still at it, I'm 76, still young and cute, still out there teaching full-time, doing public speaking. I'll come to your town and give a talk. I love doing that kind of stuff. I talk at libraries, I talk at civic organizations, and I tell the stories of the broadcasters contributed to our lives, but who have in many cases been forgotten. And I bring them back and tell their stories. And it's such a privilege to do it. Well, as I was saying, you know, you were talking about how hard it was to find a, a position here as a woman. But one of the, the first female announcer in Massachusetts actually came from the South Coast. Absolutely. And I had the privilege of not only telling her story, but bringing her back to an audience that didn't even know she existed. And in large part, I've got to do a, a thank you to her niece, uh, who has long since moved out of the area, but I'm saying she was my first contact. When I try to tell people stories, I go around looking for living relatives. And in this case, by the grace of God, I found a living relative. And it was a niece. And the niece, whose name was Eunice Stalecki, had been trying for years to get someone to tell the story of her aunt. Now, I found out about Eunice Randall, who was not only the first female announcer in Massachusetts, she was one of the first female announcers in the United States. Thank you very much. Okay? We have evidence that she may have been on the air as early as 1919, after the war ended, and she was on the air in Greater Boston until about 1924. She did some guest appearances after that, but basically went back to doing what she did. She was a drafts person. She was an engineer. She did technical drawings. She was just an amazing woman for her era. And she was, in fact, beloved. She was born in Mattapoisett in 1898. Back at a time before women were even considered legal persons, um, she had obviously didn't have the right to vote, didn't have the right to do all kinds of things. In fact, Eunice's family pretty much expected she'd stay on the farm. She went to Fairhaven High School. I have her report cards, all the, the stuff you can find. It's just unbelievable. But she went to Boston, which back in those days, we're talking the 19-teens, and women traveling alone, ooh, we know what you must be, but that wasn't what Eunice was. What Eunice was was somebody who had fallen in love with radio, except in her case, amateur radio. She had kind of taught herself ham radio. She did have someone who was a big supporter of hers, who we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, a guy named Irving Vermilia, and Eunice went to Boston to study art, but she ran out of money, and her father 
by all accounts, was not real excited about her being in Boston on her own in the 19-teens. So she had to get a job. And World War II, it opened, uh, World War One, I'm sorry, had broken out. So she was able to find a job that she might not have had otherwise, uh, a job in a factory that manufactured amateur radio equipment. Now, she's all excited because, you know, she loves amateur radio. She's really gotten into it. And she starts making radios, and it turns out that that factory, the AMRAD Company, American Radio and Research Company, they not only made radios, and I'm sorry, my allergies are killing me here, they not only made radios, um, all of you allergy sufferers, it's not your imagination, the pollen count the past couple of weeks, oi, don't Mm. even ask. So if I sound like a foghorn, I apologize. But anyway, so there's Eunice making radios and amateur radios. But she finds out that AMRAD is going to put a regular radio station on the air. Now, 1XE, it was experimental because there's no commercial radio yet. You may have read that KDKA in Pittsburgh was the first radio, the first commercial. No, it was not. It was actually the third. And perhaps the second was little 1XE on Medford Hillside on the Medford-Somerville line near where Tufts is. And so it was in 1919-1920 that the staff, the folks that made radios in the daytime, they went on the radio at night. And while we do not have any recordings from then because the technology doesn't exist, We have an awful lot of newspaper reports. We have fan mail. I have some of Eunice's fan mail. Her niece saved it. People loved her. She had a really natural, warm, friendly voice. And here again, the fact that there was a woman radio announcer, the Republic did not fall. People loved her. And she was asked to come and give talks all over New England, which she did, and that's another reason I know about her. Eunice Randall was on the air at 1XE, which later, in February of 1922, became WGI. The call letter stood for absolutely nothing. The government just handed them out to you. You took them in alphabetical order. Sometimes, as we will see, a radio station asked for requested call letters. WNBH was requested. It stood for New Bedford Hotel because the original studios were in, wait for it, the New Bedford Hotel. But WGI, they were just happy to have call letters. They were happy to be on the air. And Eunice, as it was back then, did everything. She read bedtime stories to the kiddies. She did the news. She gave traffic reports. She gave police reports of stolen cars. She played the hits. She played some of the songs that were popular in that day. And because all radio was live, if a guest didn't show up, Eunice, who sang in her church choir, also sang on the radio. She and one of the engineers at the station, they'd sing duets when a guest didn't show up. Wow. Imagine you doing that, Tim. Oh, no, my God. Nobody if a guest wants to doesn't imagine show that. up, you start singing. Nobody wants to imagine that, no. But Eunice was on the air in Boston, and because it's AM radio and because she's on at night, 
She's heard all over the eastern United States. She's getting fan mail from everywhere. Eunice Randall was a pioneering DJ. She was a pioneering radio announcer. The term DJ is not in common use yet. She was an announcer. She was the first woman. She was a legend. And it was my privilege to not only tell her story, but to champion her for induction into the Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame. And I got to tell you, Tim, one of the regrets of my life is that because she was written out of history, I never got to know who she was until years later when I discovered her. And I didn't discover her, discover her. I mean, when I found out about her. Mm -hmm. And it breaks my heart that there are so many women, people of color, and guys from the smaller markets who were completely forgotten. And that is when I made a promise that I would tell these stories. And I never expected, you you mentioned my being inducted into the Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame. That was a complete shock to me, okay? And that's not a humble brag. It's all, oh, I'm so surprised, ha, ha, ha. No, I'm, I'm really, I was shocked. In fact, when I got the call, I thought it was a friend of mine pranking me, all right? I couldn't believe it. But I've spent more than three decades telling the stories of people who entertained us, informed us, and were our best friends. And I want to keep doing that as long as God lets me, okay? I mean, I'm a cancer survivor, eight years. Shouldn't even be here telling this story. But I'm very grateful that I am. And I'm grateful that I'm able to talk about Eunice, the pride of Mattapoisett. And her family, well, most of her family, was really proud of her. By many accounts, her father kind of didn't know what to do with it. He was old school. He was still not happy about it. But from what I've been told, all her other relatives were just delighted that she went on to become famous. And she even installed an antenna down on their, what was then sort of a farm, uh, on Randall Road in Mattapoises. And that antenna, which has been hit by lightning, I believe it's still there. It's, it's bent. You can't do anything with it anymore. But the remnants of it are still there. And in my imagination, I imagine... 1922, 1923, and Eunice is on the radio in Boston, and her mother and her brother and all of the people in Mattapoisett and New Bedford and Fall River who knew her, they're listening to her and going, I know her. She was a neighbor of mine. And she was. And she never forgot where she came from. Well, and, and you mentioned Irving Vermilia as being somebody who, who championed her. He was somebody who really got radio started down in, down in this part of Massachusetts. Well, yes, he did. And that is a documented fact, okay? Um, KDKA in Pittsburgh being the first station, kind of a Westinghouse myth. Um, very influential station, God bless them. But Irving Vermilia and Eunice Randall and Harold Power and people like that They got radio started in New England and spread it all over the area. Irving was a forgotten legend, and he should not be, okay? Irving actually knew Marconi. That that is not a myth. There's some pretty documentable evidence that his father took him to see Marconi, who was still alive. Irving was just a kid, and he kind of went up to Marconi and was like, oh, my God, I admire you, you know, 
And he kind of fanboyed around Marconi, who probably was like, uh, what is this kid here for? But that kid, Irving, was a tinkerer. He was very interested in the early technology. He started building radios. He was born in New York, but then the family moved to the New Bedford area. New Bedford, Mattapoisid. He served in the military. He served on Cape Cod at the Marconi Wireless Station. He knew everybody. He met David Sarnoff. He met Lee DeForest. I mean, there's not too many people that Irving didn't meet. And he was also what they call in the ham radio biz. He was Eunice Randall's Elmer. He was the guy who, and it doesn't have to be a guy, but it was back then. He was the guy who heard her doing some really rudimentary and, by her own admission, pretty bad Morse code. And at first he mocked her because he didn't know who she was or anything. He thought she was a boy. He was like, well, little boy, you need to learn Morse code. And Eunice, who was a dignified person all the days of her life, uh, basically sent him back a message saying, "Um, I'm a girl and don't mock me. If you think I can do better, teach me. And Irving did. And he wrote an article for QST magazine, which, by the way, has been digitized. If any of you nice folks out there want to read a whole bunch of radio magazines from as far back as the 19-teens, you can do it. The website is World Radio History, all one word, worldradiohistory.com, okay? friend of mine, David Gleason, has digitized hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of radio and television, but mostly radio, radio magazines, and about entertainment, about engineering, about ham radio... So I was able to read the article that Irving wrote about Eunice and about how amateurs needed to make way, take some time, mentor women radio operators, give them a chance. And that's what he did. But he also had his own station, 1ZE, and it was back in the early days. Um, it could be heard everywhere, okay? It, in those days, signals traveled. And Eunice was one CDP, and they're sending amateur radio all over the place. They're talking on the amateur radio, but Irving starts a commercial station. Now, this is where it gets a little mythic. Irving, for years, told people that his station in New Bedford was the 11th station in the United States. No, no, no. It was not. Um, But that's okay. I love a good story. The truth is it was a very early station, and it was a very popular and very influential. Hello, I can't even talk. Very influential station. It was originally called WDAU, which, again, didn't stand for anything, and it was in a department store. And then the department store kind of decides, radio's too expensive. We're not doing this. So here's where it gets amusing, kids. Don't try this at home, because that's what Irving did. He tried this at home. (laughs) He took the radio station and brought it home with him. And his wife, God bless her, she's out getting the groceries, comes home one day, hears music. Oh, my God. In the living room, Irving has set up a radio station, and it's broadcasting. And it's 
using the call letters WBBG, which again doesn't stand for a thing, but there it is, and it is broadcasting from his home, and it broadcasts for about a year and a half. I We hope that his wife kind of got used to it at some point, but then finally in 1924, 1925, uh, Irving decides, well, you know, having people come to my house, eh, probably not the greatest idea. So he puts a station in the New Bedford Hotel, requests the call letters WNBH, and the rest, as they say, is history. And I'm I'm loving this history. I wish we had more time. To, I we, hope I'm not boring. No, today. not at I'm all. To bore people. I, we got to say hello to Gil Santos, who's another guy from the area. I mean, there's so many stories from your area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's, and we've had so many great people who have gone on, even if if it's just local notoriety. But it's been such a, a great proving ground for folks to to move on, and su- and such a great place for people who have stayed here and who have been the voice of the South Coast for for so many years. But we're we're out of time. I, I I've oh, got to go to I a talk break. Too much. I talk no, too much. I I think I you know what I think I want to have you come back at some point. We can get into. We didn't even get into Ned Green. We can talk about him in the future. On. Oh, there's so many other people, and there's more to be said about. There's more to be said about all kinds of folks, but I want to thank your listeners for letting me tell these stories. I want to thank you, Tim, for having me on your show. And if people are in the neighborhood and they want to come to the Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame induction ceremony, it's on June 8th. There's information about it on the Mass Broadcasters website. And really, thank you for loving radio as much as I do. Well, thank you, and uh, we will definitely be talking again soon. Much love. Take care. That is, again, Donna Halper. You can pick up her book. It is called Boston Radio 1920 to 2010. I would recommend it just to give you a a, a taste of what this is all about. And then you can find her writing online where she gets even more in-depth with it. Uh, But right now, we do have to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. everybody. Friendly Friday night in Boston Town. Old aching adenoids, Arnie Ginsburg. Woo woo. For you, you on the Night Train Show. All set with all the tops in pops. Brand new Wimex Tune Decks Top 20 coming your way. Number seven sound this week. Now we're jumping ahead probably about uh, 30 years there, but that's okay because I think Arnie Woo Woo Ginsburg is somebody that folks around here will definitely remember. 508 996 Good morning. You were on WBSM. Hello. Hey, good morning, my friend. How are you? Good. I got I got the app kind of redone. I got the same phone number, but a new phone. And all of a sudden, I realized like a week ago, wait a minute, I don't have the app up. Yesterday, I tried twice, and it just like it just kept like it showed the screen, but just kept like cycling, circle, 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 and I finally got in there today. Ah, yeah, so those Willie Nelson. Oh well, I mean, hey, we're going to be giving. So here's a secret: we have some more we're going to give away when we get closer to the show. 
okay, so it's not a secret anymore. You just blew it. No, no, it's just you and I talking. <laughs> Nobody else is listening. That, that was a great show with that young lady. Um, I, that was fascinating. Yeah. Last I, year when um, Haven High School dedicated the press box to Bill Santos, I was part of that ceremony. My father and mother knew him personally, and then when I was in school, I quit school my sophomore year to go fishing, and it was Bill Santos, Dave Medeiros, and Mrs. Chase who talked me back into going, getting back into school, but I had to repeat my sophomore year. But yeah, he was, Bill Santos definitely a legend around here, the voice of the Patriots. So, and I got I got a chance to talk with him about being on WB, WBSM, and I talked to him, you know, because I would run into him when I was covering the the Patriots. So, sure. and I was so blessed to be able to work with Dan Pyers when I first started covering the team, and he introduced me to everybody. And yep. so he he'd be like, "Hey, Gil, this is Tim. He's on the station he used to be on." And so it was, you know, it was really nice to to have that kind of an introduction. But I would have talked to Donna all morning long, but I knew if I if I didn't cut it there because you know there's there's so much more we can discuss. If I you didn't cut it there, going on a lot like and the, like I would have I would have blown all my breaks and I would have been in trouble. Well, yeah, Michael Rock would have to like take away your lunch money. Yeah. I think even he would would have said well, that's a fascinating conversation that needs to be told. And I'm <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take some of the information she gave us about Eunice and I'm gonna write up a story because I think people need to know that the, the this female pioneer in radio was right here from the South Coast. So Yeah. And earlier today when you're talking about the issue there up at the zoo, yeah. The whole thing about them doing that, they have the catering business, they have the little business down on Daphnis Street, kind of across from the old Vanity Fair. And um I mean, not the Vanity Fair, the bargain value outlet. And so I made plans to go over there this weekend, Saturday with a few people, and all of a sudden I said, what? Close, though. Yeah, we'll I mean. We'll find out the devil in the details. Yeah, well, well um, hopefully we'll get some more info. But All right, well, you have right, a good have weekend. A good one, my friend. Take it easy. And uh, let's see if we can squeeze in one more, but I do have to take a couple more breaks here. Good morning. You're next on WBSM. Hello. Hello, Spooky Tim. Yeah. That was a very refreshing uh, change from, uh, you know, the hard political, hard-hitting uh, stuff that usually is on WBSM. I, I enjoyed it very much. I hope you get her on again if she can be available and talk more about uh, local uh, radio. Uh, you know, I also everybody knows about Gil Santos, but I often heard, again, I don't know, uh, Don Gillis. Don Gillis, yep. He was started there. I don't know if it was BSM or NBH. And Don, Don Gillis was WBSM's first sports announcer, I believe. There you go. Yep. And uh, then also, I don't know if you know of this person. He used to be the announcer for the Boston Symphony. This is William Pierce of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. I heard he started down here. Hmm. Okay. And that, that would be before your time, but if you tuned into the uh, Boston Symphony Orchestra in the 60s. Uh, it was a William Pierce there, and from what I understand, he got started here, too, and maybe you can look into that, that sort of thing. Sure, I'll ask Donna. She would know if anybody yeah, would. But I, I really enjoyed listening to it. It was a, a nice break from all the all the hot-hitting stuff, and I hope you can get it back again. Oh, we definitely will. Absolutely. Okay, Spooky, you stay spooky now. All right, have a good weekend. Yeah, yeah, bye-bye. You, too. And, uh, yeah, no, that'll definitely be the case. We will definitely talk more with her. And, uh, and uh, listen... I think it's great information. I think it's really important to know the part that we played, but just the depth of knowledge that she has about these people. And like she said, they're forgotten people. They're people that nobody talks about anymore. And and I think that it's important that we keep the, the stories going and that we keep the history alive. And that's something that, you know, I'm always willing to use these airwaves for. So if there's ever any cool bit of history or interesting bit of history that you think we should talk about on the air or have an article about, you can always reach out to me, Tim at WBSM.com or send me an app chat message 
message, and uh, and I would love to share it with you. I actually have a couple of uh, local history articles that I have in the works, too, that will be coming your way in the next couple of weeks. Uh, some of them I just want to get out and take some photos for. Some of them I'm still trying to track down some sources to talk about them with. But uh, that's that's what I love. And, and I think a lot of you out there love it, too. And like, like the caller said, it's a good break sometimes from the stuff that we, you know, we have to talk about the rest of the time. Sometimes it's good to take a step back and say, let's just talk about something interesting. All right, I got to take a break. We'll be back. In a, and I'm getting some app chat messages from people who enjoyed our talk with Donna Halper. Uh, Danan or Dinan505 says, love the woman that was talking about her radio years. I found it very interesting and enlightening. Makes me appreciate appreciate radio so much more. Loved her story. And uh, Alan Somerset says, wow, great lady and great story. So I'm glad that you enjoyed it. You know, so I was uh, just texting someone. I said, you know, sometimes I have conversations with people on the air just because I want to have those conversations. And if the audience likes it, great. If they don't, you know, so be it. But I, sometimes we have, you know, discussions and conversations just because it's something that I want to talk about. When I had my Saturday show, uh, Saturday morning show, we would just go in all different directions. We would have, you know, Robbie Riss, the guy who played Cousin Oliver on the Brady Bunch. We would have, you know, uh, Butch Patrick, uh, just whatever. And that's how I like to do things. I like that Radio Verite style. Uh, but if you are somebody who likes something that is a little bit more consistent, if you like good quality, excellent consistency, you want to go to the Barrels and Boards Marketplace to get all of your meats and seafoods and all the other great things that you need to prepare barrels and board style meal barrels and boards style meals rather at home and you can go to the restaurant you can have a meal and then just pop into the marketplace and grab yourself some of their high quality steaks meat that you've never seen so well marbled and it's just about the same price as it is in the store those tomahawk steaks they have there for 20.99 a pound that means you're going to bring one of those bad boys home for about 60 bucks instead of paying over a hundred dollars sometimes in some of the restaurants to get them you can get one to bring home and cook it yourself on the grill and have that tomahawk experience right at home you can also get pre-made meals in individual or family size portions so that you don't even have to worry about cooking dinner. You can just pop that in the oven, warm it up, and have a barrels and boards meal at home. Plus, of course, that candied bacon is for sale there as well, along with the butterscotch dipping sauce that they create right there in the kitchen. Check them out, the Barrels and Boards Marketplace on Route 138 in Raynham, or visit them online or on Facebook at Barrels and Boards MA. That's Barrels, the letter N, Boards MA. <laughs> That is Rush with the Spirit of Radio. And uh, and we also got a, an app chat message from Not Bad in Oak Bluffs who says, great interview. Please bring her back soon. And we will. So uh, I'm glad that you all enjoyed it. That'll do it for today and for this week. Uh, I don't know if, I don't think I'll be in for Spooky South Coast for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going to be working tomorrow during the day covering a story. So I think I'm going to shift my weekend stuff a little bit later but i'll be back with you on monday to talk about all kinds of things and of course stay tuned for barry richard coming up after bill o'reilly then we will have howie carr followed by south coast tonight of course tomorrow we have all of our great saturday programming brian's beat 
the Ken Pittman Show, Money Matters, and we have the Jessica Machado Show. And I know Jessica has a big show planned for Saturday as well uh, with a, a very important issue that Somerset have been following for a long time. She can finally really get into that, so she'll do that this Saturday on her program. So if you miss any of those shows, you can always check out our podcast at WBSM.com or on the app. That'll do it for me. Until next week, enjoy every sandwich.